Good morning, everyone. Shall we pray together? Lord Jesus, we thank you that in our worship you give us glimpses of your true glory and your true identity. And we pray this morning that as we pray and worship together and as we listen to your word, that you would give us even just a glimpse of our true identity in you. Amen. Well, when I get to the last five minutes of my sermon, you can all switch off because Jane and Dan have already given it to you, which is fantastic. So there's a bit of confirmation there. This morning, I want to talk about transfiguration. I want to start by saying what a silly word it is. You know, it's one of those religious words that Christians have created for something, which actually nobody else in the world understands. And actually, the, the Greek word in this story is not transfiguration. It's just that ordinary word we all know, which is metamorphosis. (laughs) Metamorphosis. What, what, What does this really mean? What's this really about? Well, a metamorphosis is a complete change of form or appearance. And often we talk about it in terms of a complete change into a more beautiful or a more spiritual state. In other words, here we're talking about Peter, James and John glimpsing for a moment the true wonder of Jesus' divine nature as his physical appearance is transformed before their eyes. It was a revelation of his true eternal identity. And it was an experience which, even though they had to keep it secret until after his resurrection, it was an experience which completely changed their perception of him. And this morning, by um, reflecting on Jesus' transformation, I want to suggest three spiritual truths which not only apply to his experience, but can also apply to our experience as we today seek to discover our true identity in Christ. So it's all about identity. But first, I I want to preempt that by saying, this is not some mythological, airy-fairy, spiritual mumbo-jumbo. It's not that. It's about how in the midst of our ordinary human lives, God sometimes gives us the most extraordinary revelations about who we are as human beings. So let's look at three spiritual truths. Let's go to the first one. This first one is simply this. It's not an individual experience. It happens in companionship. Jesus took with him Peter, James and John. And he was transfigured before them. They witnessed it. And that makes it different from Moses and Elijah's experience. As human beings, we often have a deep longing to discover 
our true identity. And we can search for it in in many different ways. Some are good. Many are superficial in our culture at the moment. And others are ultimately destructive. But the best way I have found to discover my true identity is to search for it in relationship. Particularly with those people I might describe as my companions. Those who I travel through life with. Those who I trust. Those who know me best. Such people may be family. They may be friends. I may see them on a daily basis or I may see them rarely. I may have known them for far too long, it may feel like. I may have known them since I was very, very small. Or I may have met them recently. But whoever they are, these are the people I see my true identity reflected in best. Best of all and warts and all. These are the people who have witnessed my transfiguration, my my transformation, my change over the years as a human being. As hopefully I have become more my true self as created in God's image. It would be a mistake to think that on this occasion Jesus deliberately went up this mountain to be transfigured to show his disciples something. That would be an assumption too far. However, we do know that on this occasion, he deliberately chose these companions to hang out with and to travel with. And I think over the years, I've come to see that hanging out with people and traveling with your companions is a good spiritual discipline. These are the times which often create opportunities for my change, for my transfiguration. So who do you hang out with at the moment? Who do you travel with through life? And that leads us on to our second truth, quite simply. We need to remember that this is not a routine experience. It requires time out away from the crowd. As you will all have probably heard by the end of the day, Danny has just spent the week up in Northumbria doing this very thing at the Northumbria community, hanging out with Christian companions for a week and deliberately taking time out away from the crowd. But you don't need to go on a formal Christian retreat to do this. But you will need to spend some time away from the crowd. Away from our work and away from the hullabaloo or the mundane predictability of our everyday lives. It might simply be a dog walk with a friend. Or an evening at the pub. A lunch in the park, or even, yes, even a visit to church on a Sunday morning. Even that. 
But whatever it is, it will be a deliberate choice. We also easily forget that holidays derives from the religious principle of holy days. As some of you may know, I I work amongst Islamic students fairly often, probably on a daily basis. And in many ways, I'm, I'm impressed by such young people. They impress me. Their devotion to daily prayers, their observance of religious rites, feasts and festivals, their fasting and their almsgiving, and their eager desire to go on pilgrimage. Yet for them, and they would say this, such things are an obligation. They are obliged to do it. But for us, like Peter, James and John, it's a choice to respond to Jesus' invitation. An invitation to simply take time out away from the crowd, in the company of Jesus. But I think the the third spiritual truth I want to share this morning is perhaps a bit more challenging. The third spiritual truth is this. It should not last too long, as we need to get on with life back down to earth. The story tells us about Peter's response to Jesus' transfiguration. And he blurts out, like the best of extroverts, with no filter between his brain and his lips, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. What was his mistake? Well, it was twofold. First, he wanted to linger in the experience. And second, he wanted to linger in the past, particularly the traditions of the past. I don't know about you, but I see these as two of the biggest dangers that the church faces in our world today, as it always has done. You know, that temptation to want to linger in experience, in a holy huddle perhaps, and that temptation to want to linger in the past and what we did in the past. You see, Jesus' mission is not fulfilled up on top of the mountain. It's fulfilled back down in the valley, down to earth. Also, remember that Jesus came to say, I have come to give you life in all its fullness. He did not say, I have come to give you transfiguration in all its fullness. That can wait till we're in heaven. But until then, there's a lot of life for us to live and there's a lot of work for us to do back down to earth. And surely the most fundamental part of that transformed life which God calls us to work out and live out here on earth 
is summed up in one very simple statement from the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis, we simply read, the Lord took humanity and put them in his garden, his garden, to work it and take care of it. If, as a transfigured people, we could work to build a community where this was our prime intention, I wonder what we could really achieve. And I wholeheartedly believe this will not involve us becoming more religious. But it will involve us having a much deeper understanding of our true spiritual identity in Christ and it will involve us having a much fuller engagement with the world. And surely the work of Tear Fund and other agencies constantly remind us that our world needs to be transfigured. It needs to be renewed. It needs people who will not only work in it, but will also deeply care for it. I also believe, in this regard, God doesn't need more bishops or priests or deacons. A few more, perhaps. What God really needs is transfigured accountants, teachers, politicians, refuse collectors, nurses, analysts, cleaners, musicians, artists, scientists, gardeners, volunteers. You name the work, God needs to transfigure it. You name your work, God needs to transfigure it. We all need to be changed from glory into glory, as Charles Wesley put it, till in heaven we take our place. Until then, there's much work for us to do. When in heaven you take your place, What three things would you like to be left behind, written on your gravestone? Now bear in mind that Jesus told his disciples that they were to keep this experience secret until after his resurrection. That was a clear instruction in the story. But at the moment where he was transfigured and they witnessed it, a voice from heaven said three simple things about him. This is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. I hope one day I will be so transfigured that I would become the sort of person that God can say that of. And that perhaps that could be written on my gravestone. 
But I also know until that day, like, just like Jesus, I cannot do this alone. I need to do it in companionship, in community with others. I cannot do it without taking time out away from the work and the crowd. And I also know that I must not linger on the mountaintop of experience, nor in the past, for there is much work still to be done for God down here on planet Earth. Thanks be to God for that. Amen.